Well, good morning, saints. Well, we have spent the last few months examining wisdom, God's wisdom, primarily but not exclusively in the book of Proverbs. We have seen that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You cannot know and nor can you live or walk in the wisdom of God if you do not first bend the knee and worship him. To fear the Lord is to intentionally make room for God, for his truth in our thoughts, in our actions, in our convictions. There are so many applications of God's wisdom to our everyday life. But as we land the plane on this series, we will shine the light on the spectacular display of God's wisdom in the most unexpected place. That will indeed prompt us to sing his praises throughout the ages. The old rugged cross. Our salvation. So our text this morning is 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It's a lengthy one. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. As I read, please pay attention to the 10 mentions of the word wisdom or something similar to wisdom, wise, wisdom. The the six mentions of foolishness or folly. The centrality of the cross and the conjoining of God's wisdom and God's power. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 18, we read this. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Let me say that one more time. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. 
For the foolishness of God, hyperbole, is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being may boast in the presence of God. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Amen? Amen. It is a beautiful passage. It puts things so clearly for us. Now, as we wrap up our thoughts on wisdom, obviously we're focusing this morning on the gospel of Jesus Christ. What we need to keep in mind about wisdom, God's wisdom, God's truth is simply this. There will always be a contrast. There will always be one way to go or the other way to go. There will always be a choice. There is wisdom and there is folly. There is my way and there's God's way. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn to Jeremiah chapter 6. We read this at the very beginning of the series. And it's worth revisiting this morning. Jeremiah chapter 6, and what I'm really driving at here is I want us to see that this is the consistent message of God all throughout God's word. All throughout history, in dealing with the Israelites in the New Testament, it's the same message, it does not change. Here is one sampling. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. Thus says the Lord... Stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths. Where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. <laughs> but they said, "Not, nah, we're not going to do it. That's my, my rendition of the last part of that verse. We're not going to do it. But look at that verse a little closer for just a moment. Because it echoes all throughout God's word, especially in the New Testament. He pictures a fork in the road. Do we not have a decision almost every day in small things and of course in big things as well? Which way am I going to go? He says, ask for the ancient paths. Why? Because God's wisdom is timeless. It doesn't change. 
Every generation will seek to bring its new take, the hottest take on what's out there. But God's wisdom remains. He says, seek the good way. But don't just talk about it. Don't just think about it. Don't just admire it. Walk in it. Set your life trajectory on that path. Move, obey, go in that direction. But notice what he says. And find rest for your soul. Is your soul anxious? Are your thoughts conflicting? He says, walk in the way of wisdom. And you will find rest for your soul. Who else said this? Who else said you will find rest for your soul? Jesus. Matthew chapter 11 verse 28. Come to me all of you who are weak and heavy burdened. And I will give you rest. But look at the reality that last phrase. But they said, no, I'm not going to do it. Just like a little toddler, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do it my way. Now, when it comes to salvation in Christ, this is a good note for us to end on in this series. There has never been a more stark difference between one way and the other. The repercussions of one way and the other. The contrast of wisdom and folly. Spurning the son of God. Rejecting him. Scripture tells us that narrow is the path that leads to life. And broad is the path that leads to destruction. So as we consider this passage this morning, I'd like to highlight a few things. Obviously, we could spend a lot of time in this one passage. But if you look at verse 24, there's a very interesting note. But to those who are called, in contrast to those who are mocking the gospel... Both Jews and Greeks, that's everyone. Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. The spectacular expression of the wisdom of God and the power of God. Because the wisdom of God is never separated from the power of God. It is in the cross. Both are in full display and worthy of our praise in reconciling sinners to himself. But notice the overall analysis of the world. It's foolishness. The Jews seek a sign. The Greeks seek wisdom. 
So the Jews, keep in mind, they have this privileged status throughout history. They got to see and experience God working miraculously in their own midst. If not in their own generation, they knew in generations past that God had intervened and done wondrous, miraculous things. Now, the Greek or the Gentile, on the other hand, the the Greek world at the time, well, what are they all about? Well, they're all about philosophy. How can we figure this out? Let's reason together and come up with some notion to explain the chaos around us and the chaos on the inside of us. The Jews crossed their arms and said, give us a sign. Jesus said, no sign will be given this generation except except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Three days in the belly of the earth. The Greeks, well, they wanted to figure it out. They wanted to figure out all their problems. 2,000 years in, I don't think we have accomplished that. You see, they never got anywhere. That which was right before them. Turn to the left, to the book of Romans, chapter 1. This is a crucial verse in this amazing book, right at the beginning. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Watch what he says. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, in the gospel, in the good news, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the the righteous shall live by faith faith when paul speaks about the gospel he speaks about the power of god the wisdom of god why does he speak about the power of god because it is the power of god that saves us from his judgment and transforms and changes us in fact You're in Romans. Flip to chapter 11. Remember how Paul would would write his epistles. Lots of theology, lots of doctrine, and then the what to do in light of this. How to live in light of this. So Romans, 11 chapters of rich theology about the gospel about Christ. And here is how Paul ends that part of the book. Verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. He has just spent 11 chapters expounding the beauty of the gospel, the simplicity of the gospel, salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. To him who does not work, 
but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. He just steps back and says, oh, the depth of the wisdom and the power of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that God would owe anything to anyone? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. The wisdom of God. I got to give you one more. To your right. Revelation. Last book in the Bible. Chapters 4 and 5 give this beautiful picture of worship around the throne of God. We'll pick it up in verse 11. Remember, Christ is the wisdom of God. He is the power of God. And then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and glory and blessing. They are ascribing to him that which is due his name. He is not lacking in it. They are acknowledging he is the possessor and expression of it. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. Amen. And the elders fell down and they worshiped. What else do you do? In the presence of God himself. I want you to look down at verse. We're going to go back to 1 Corinthians. Look down at verse 30. I'd like to point out just a few things. I'll read the verse again. Speaking of the Lord. And because of him... You are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, namely righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Three aspects to our salvation righteousness. Sanctification 
and redemption. You see, God did what no philosophy could ever do. God did for us in Christ, through the cross, the old rugged cross, what you and I could never accomplish ourselves. We could never wipe our slate clean. We could never rid ourselves of our sin, of our shame, and of our guilt. God did it freely for us. This is why it is the wisdom of God. And it is the power of God. Because when God saves us, he transforms us. And we're different now than we were before. So let's break this down. He says three things. I'm going to use different words to describe this. You might be familiar with them in verse 30. He says, he has become for us righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Righteousness. There's a word that we use, imputed. It's given. It's not our own. Christ died on the cross. He bore my sins. In fact, scripture says he became sin. So that I might become the righteousness of God in him. That's amazing. So I, who have messed up more times than I could even recount last week. I am righteous. There's no philosophy that could accomplish that. There's no amount of deep thinking that can give you a fresh start. But salvation is not just being forgiven and then going to heaven. The power of God is seen at the life of God that is inside of us. He uses a second term. Sanctification. Sanctification is that beautiful yet often painful but wonderful process from one degree of glory to another in which God conforms me to the image of his son. He changes me. He changes me. Remember what Paul said to the Corinthians in 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 2 Corinthians chapter 5? Verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away and behold, all things are new. That slate that is wiped completely clean from us. I do want to turn back to the Old Testament briefly. Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah chapter 31, there's a wonderful passage that talks about Christ and the new covenant, the new promise that God would give through the cross. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31. 
Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their forefathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke. I'm going to take you down to verse, well, verse 33. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. Now watch this. I will put my law within them and write it on their hearts. They will be my pe- I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor uh, to, and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least of them to the, to the greatest, declares the Lord. Now watch what he says here. I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sins no more. That's the forgiveness part. That's the justification. That's the righteousness part. It's amazing. But don't sleep on what he said earlier. I will put my law within them and write it on their hearts. There is something beautiful about the gospel in which we are changed. We're not who we used to be. We actually want to do the right thing without anyone knowing about it. I've said this many times. Christine's own testimony is when her older sister growing up When she became a Christian, middle school, I think. When she became a Christian, the first one in her family to be born again. She couldn't get enough of this. She could not get enough of God's word. She had a little lamp on her bed. They shared a room together. Late at night, she would have that lamp on reading the Bible. Christine, being a little annoyed, why, why are you reading your Bible? There's no priest here. You're not getting credit for it. It's not any good. Why are you doing it? Save that for when they can see you doing it. But this is what 1 John speaks about. The life of God in the life of people. We want to do the right thing. We desire God's word and God's truth. To be sure, we don't get it right all of the time. But we're changed, our disposition. And finally, he says, verse 30, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. The scripture speaks about redemption in the future tense, not just now. The future tense when it will be done. When I will stand in the presence of God. When I will be glorified. My body a resurrected and glorified body. Free of temptation. Free of disease and sickness and heartache and grief. And all of the vices that we face in this world. My friends, this is the wisdom and the power of God. To save a wretch like me. To give me a hope. To incline my heart 
to actually serve him and to worship him, to love those around me from the heart because the love of God has been shed abroad in my heart. And it's hard to keep that in. This is why the scripture says, verse 29, that no human being might boast in the presence of God. This is God's work. You can't change yourself if your life depended upon it. You can fake it. You can be religious. You can do religious things. You can try harder and harder and harder, but you know you mess up. That's why grace is so beautiful and so powerful. And he concludes, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So friends, let's wrap this up. You and I have choices before us each and every day to apply God's wisdom in the details of our lives. I challenge you and I encourage you to do just that. The scripture tells us that God loves to give us his wisdom freely to those who ask, to those who pursue it, to know it. But let us not miss the big picture, the great display of God's wisdom and God's power in the gospel because that is what brings us all together. How does Christ, how is Christ displayed as the wisdom of God and the power of God in the gospel? In the gospel, as Paul says, verse 18, in the word of the cross, God forgives Sinners. Romans 3 says that God is both just and the justifier. Meaning, his holiness does not suffer loss when he allows sinners in. But sin indeed has been punished. But Christ took my stripes. In the gospel... God does for us what philosophy could never do. It never has and it never will. It gives me hope. First Peter chapter 1. A living hope. It pulsates with hope. Because we know that we are loved and accepted by God. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He will take us safely to the heavenly shores. And we will be with him forever. The wisdom and the power of God. Not only saves us. Not only forgives us. But gives us an inheritance. How do we? How does this How does this happen? That we who are deserving of the wrath of God are now co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Saints, lift up your head. Know who you are. You are in Christ, is what 1 Corinthians tells us. And furthermore, 
Sin shall not have mastery over you. Again, no amount of deep thinking, no amount of philosophy can bring that to pass. And every single one of us knows that is exactly, absolutely true. The wisdom of God in the gospel, it is offensive. It's a stumbling block. Because the gospel tells us clearly that we have a problem. And that problem is desperate. And we don't have a solution for it. That's why it's offensive. It's also offensive because it is remarkably simple. Believe in Jesus. Everything in us, we want to contribute something. I mean, we want to put money in the plate. We want to help people across the road. Whatever we can do to help our cause. God says no. Let's close out in the book of Romans. Familiar territory, I would imagine, but I don't want us to be to leave this passage without looking at these verses. Romans chapter 3. We're going to kind of walk through the book of Romans together, just um, a, few, a few points. Romans chapter 1 and 2, they are the most remarkable chapters. They, Paul hauls the entire human race, Jews, non-Jews, into the court of God. And declares them guilty against the protests of the Jews. The signature verse is Romans chapter 3. Verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. When we submit ourselves to the wisdom of God. To God's truth. To God's word. We see immediately what we know to be true. All have sinned and are falling short of the glory of God. We do it on a regular basis. Chapter 6. Verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. But, there's a contrast... The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That but is a contrast. There are two paths. Take your pick. There's two paths. One leads to death, destruction, misery, heartache, wrath. One leads to eternal life. And it's free. And it's only in Christ. Chapter 5. Verse 8. How could this possibly be? But God shows his love for us in the inn. That while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, while we were under the condemnation of our own sin, under the wrath of God, controlled by, mastered by sin and lust, God sent his son and Christ died for sinners. God made the first move. Christ took 
our sins upon himself. Chapter 8, verse 1. We're almost done. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is the beauty, the wisdom, the power of the gospel. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are in Christ or you are not in Christ. It's one, of, one or the other. If you are in Christ, if you have put your faith, your trust, your confidence in Jesus. Who died for sinners and rose again. No condemnation. No shame. It's not a part of your vocabulary anymore. Chapter 10. Chapter 10, verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. This is not... Something, you know, that you got to go seeking all over the place for. It's right before you. It's attainable. It's within reach. Verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Do you know what you don't see there? Your works, your effort, all of those things. Verse 13, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The beauty, the power of the gospel. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Would you pray with me? Most gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ. Thank you for eternal life. Thank you for the free gift of eternal life. Thank you for your presence with us. Thank you for your work in us. Thank you that in Christ we are new creations. We're not who we used to be. Please give us strength and the grace and the confidence that we need today to walk in confidence, knowing that we belong to you. Knowing that you have called us, you have saved us, you have forgiven us, you are at work in our lives, you will not let us go, and one day you will complete and finish the work that you started in us, even though we don't feel like that at times from day to day. Fill us with wonder and awe as we think about your work and what you've done in and through us. And oh Lord, may we be challenged to go to your word for your wisdom, for your perspective as we seek to live a life that is honorable to you. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.